Okay, let's turn to um, two places. First John 5. You're pretty close there in Second Peter. First John 5. And Second Corinthians 2. First John 5. And 2 Corinthians 2. I need one of those bookmarks back there. I'm using all kinds of stuff up here to mark my pages. If you want to give this a name, you can call it victim or victor. Victim or victor. Now, 1 John 5, verse 4, that's a familiar verse to us. It's what's out on our sign out there. It says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now, 2 Corinthians 2 14. Now, thanks be unto God, which sometimes causes us to triumph. Is that what it says? Thanks be to God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. So when we don't give up and quit, He always causes us to triumph and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge of us in every place. So let's say this out loud. I'm a winner. I'm an overcomer. I have the greater one, the victory, living inside me. Amen. So God being with us is good. God being in us is even better. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, just turn the page to chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet, underlying the word yet, not distressed. We are perplexed, but, Underline the word but. Not in despair. Persecuted but. Underline the word but. Not forsaken. Cast down but. Underline the word but. Not destroyed. Now, what if he had said, we are troubled on every side. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We are forsaken. We are casting, cast down. What if he just made all, said all this and didn't say, but? <laughs> but we're not in despair. But we're not forsaken. So, so, you know, some people might say, now, Paul, you shouldn't make these bad confessions. You know, you shouldn't make these negative confessions. Well, he's not denying what is. Denying what is, is not faith. 
Denying what you have uh, is not faith. Uh, you can't say, I'm not in pain, I'm not in pain, I'm not in pain. And, and you know, you're, you know, every time you put weight on your leg, you know, it's just like a knife going, are you in pain? No, I'm not in pain. I'm not in pain. I'm not in pain. That is not what, that is not faith. The Bible does not teach that. As a matter of fact, what are you hearing yourself say? Pain. You're hearing yourself talk about pain. You're becoming more aware of pain, and the Bible does not teach that. Faith calls things that be not as though they were. Faith does not call for what you have. It calls for what you don't have. Faith does not deny what you have. It calls for what you don't have. So we're not denying the problem. We're not denying the situation. We've, we've talked about that last time in Romans 4. Uh, faith calls things that are not. We don't deny what we have. We call for what we don't have. If we don't deny pain, we call for healing. We don't deny the sickness. We call for healing and health. We don't deny uh, the, the financial need. We call that need met. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what faith teaches. And if you're in pain, health and wholeness is what is not. And that's what you call for. So write this down. Faith does not deny what is. It calls for what is not. Faith does not deny what you have. It calls for what you don't have. That's what you want. So that's why we call what we don't have. So Paul said, yes, we've got trouble on every side. Yet, we are not distressed about it. We don't know why these things are happening, but we don't give up and quit. So that's, that's where the faith comes in. He, he states the problem, but then he says, but. Yes, we're perplexed, but. Yes, we're, per we're persecuted, but not forsaken. So that's where the faith comes in. So living by faith does not assure that you'll never have any challenges, troubles, or problems. And if anybody has ever told you that, they don't know what they're talking about. Living by faith means that no matter what's going on, it does not shake you. And over in Acts 20, uh, the Holy Spirit showed Paul in advance that when he went to Jerusalem, he was going to be in trouble. He was going to have trouble, he was going to be arrested, and he was going to throw, be thrown in jail, and God revealed that to him in advance. And his response was, but 
None of these things move me. So he wasn't denying the trouble. He's, but, but he said, none of these things move me. Now that's faith. Let's say that out loud. None of these things move me. One more time. None of these things move me. Amen. So when you say that, you can sense strength come into your spirit. When you say, none of these things move me, you can sense strength coming into your spirit. Now, the, uh, this passage in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, in the Common English Bible says, We are experiencing all kinds of trouble, but we aren't crushed. We are confused, but we aren't depressed. The easy-to-read version says, We have troubles all around us, but we are not defeated. We often don't know what to do, but we don't give up. God's Word translation says, In every way we're troubled, but we aren't crushed by our troubles. We're frustrated, but we don't give up. The Passion Translation says, Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times, we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. Let's say that together. Quitting on God is not an option. Amen. Now the Living Bible says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but not crushed and broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do, but we don't give up and quit. Now the, the devil is good at asking questions. Why didn't this happen? Why did this happen? Why did that happen to that person? Why didn't this uh, happen for you? You know, why didn't they do this for you? He, he, he's always bombarding us with these kind of questions. And, and if, if every time he asks us one of those questions, you know, why, why did this happen? I don't know. Why didn't this happen? I don't know. Why did he not do that for them? I don't know. And then when you start going down that path, he'll start leading you into confusion and darkness and then you'll start beginning to wonder, maybe God doesn't even want me to have this. You know, does God really want you to have this? Well, I don't know. And so that is getting, that's the devil leading you down a path of darkness and confusion. You start trying to analyze everything and you get weaker and weaker and you start wavering. So. Don't answer his questions. It's none of his business. It's none of his business. Why this, why that, why the other? So just because we don't always understand something, it doesn't mean we have to be down or discouraged about it. <clears throat> so if you're going to talk to the devil, talk to him about what you do know. 
God is faithful. He's on my side. He's never let me down. He always causes me to triumph. And, and don't play, uh, don't let him lead you down that path of darkness and confusion. Now, verse 13 says, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Notice the word believe and speak. Now, when, here when it talks about the spirit of faith, it's not talking about uh, a person like the Holy Spirit or an evil spirit. It's, it's, it's not used in that way. It means like the team spirit. If I say team spirit or school spirit, you, you understand what that means. A winning spirit. It's, a, it's an attitude or a frame of mind. And we just heard the spirit of faith right back up here in these previous verses when he said, yes, we're troubled on every side, but we're, yet we're not distressed. Yes, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. That's the spirit of faith. I believe, therefore I speak. Now, Brother Hagen used to say, the spirit of faith is the spirit of victory. Let's say that together. The spirit of faith is the spirit of victory. And that agrees, that agrees with what we just read in 1 John 5, 4. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. That's the spirit, that's the spirit of faith and the spirit of victory. So nobody is predestined to fail or uh, to be defeated. When we don't quit, he always causes us to triumph and God has destined us to be a victor and not a victim. Now, the devil uh, doesn't want us operating in faith and that's why he's always working to undermine it. And one of the primary tools he uses is the flesh. Our flesh. Because the flesh uh, is only interested in being comfortable and not being inconvenienced. Uh, the flesh is not really interested in anything or anybody else. The flesh just doesn't want to be inconvenienced and it wants to feel comfortable all the time. Doesn't really think about other people or, or anything else. Uh, it, it's selfish by nature. And the devil wants you to embrace the idea of being a victim. The devil wants you to embrace the idea of being a victim. <laughs> Because victims are defeated. Victims are defeated. Now let me give you the dictionary definition of a victim. A person who has come to feel helpless and passive in the face of misfortune or ill treatment. 
A person who has come to feel helpless and passive in the face of misfortune or ill treatment. Now notice the words helpless and passive. Those words reflect weakness. Other words, synonyms for victim, casualty, loss, prey, P-R-E-Y, fatality, statistic. The nature of the flesh is to want to yield to self-pity and it wants other people to sympathize with it. Now, the definition of a victim mentality. <coughs> the belief that one is always a victim, the idea that bad things will always happen to one. The belief that one is always a victim and the idea that bad things will always happen to one. Now, let's look at a couple of characteristics of a victim mentality. One of the characteristics, it blames someone else for what they don't have, uh, what has happened to them, or what has not happened to them. People tend, people who have victim mentality tend to blame other people for what they don't have or what they, where they're not. Uh, this is how victims talk. Everybody's against me. They won't help me. You owe me. It's not fair. Do you ever hear those words? Well, uh, I'm giving you an announcement. Whoever said that life was going to be fair? You know what I mean? Uh, you know, who said anybody has to help me? It's, it, I'm, it's nice, it's a blessing when people do, and I'm thankful, but as far as me expecting and demanding that people help me, no. A second characteristic uh, of someone with victim mentality, uh, they tend to want somebody to pay for what's happened to them. And it may be somebody totally, a total third party, totally somebody innocent that had nothing to do with it, but they want somebody to pay because it's going to make my flesh feel a whole lot better. And sometimes you hear these people interviewed on television and you can hear the bitterness and the anger in their voice. And this is rampant in our society today. And whenever we identify these characteristics in our attitudes, we need to take steps immediately to cut it off because this is darkness, darkness. Uh, you hear people say, it's the government's fault I don't have a job. It's my boss's fault I didn't get a pay rise. It's the coach's fault I didn't make the team. Don't even get me started on sports. <laughs> uh, what else? Um, oh, 
it's a teacher's fault I didn't pass that class. <laughs> Never mind the fact that they only went to class three times a whole semester, what little homework they turned in was late, and they may have even been caught cheating. And I'm not making this stuff up. One, my my, one of my sisters and her husband, they both teach in a university, and they deal with this junk all the time. You wouldn't believe what <laughs> students come to them with, you know? So, uh, and now there are even names that go with this victim mentality, and one of them is called trigger points. Victims have trigger points. And uh, many universities in, the, in America are now encouraging and fostering and empowering the, this victim mentality. And they've set up what they call safe spaces, uh, which is a room in a building somewhere on the campus. And whenever uh, uh, somebody gets challenged, maybe somebody challenges their beliefs, or um, you know, they say something they don't agree with, maybe the teacher wrote on their paper with a red pen and it upset them. I have heard some places teachers can no longer write on the paper with a red pen because it upsets some people. Uh, or maybe they're an atheist and somebody mentioned God to them and that just, you know, oh, they just, just upset them. These are all trigger points. And these, uh, you know, their flesh and, and their little fragile minds can't cope with this kind of pressure, you know. They can't cope with people disagreeing with them or challenging their belief systems. So they can, they can go to these safe spaces, uh, which are these rooms on campus. And they, in these rooms, they have little fuzzy kittens and little puppy dogs that they can hold and they can cuddle to calm down their anxiety and they're given a box of crayons and coloring book. Now, this would be funny if it wasn't so pathetic. This is happening. Now, I don't know if it's made it to this country yet, but anything that happens over there tends to make its way over here. But, um, you know, uh, can you, I mean, I just can't imagine people spending tens of thousands of dollars to send their kids to university and they're sitting in a room with a box of crayons and a coloring book? You know? Now, Peter, you and Frank were in the military. Did they give you a little cuddly kitten and, and a coloring book if the sergeant upset you? Yes, they did. They said each it. Each it. They probably said a few more things too, didn't they? <laughs> That's probably you better not mention in this room, you know? But uh, this, this is what's happening. And these people are being set up for failure in life. And they're going to be a st statistic and a casualty. And this victim mentality is gonna go with them.
Because when they hit the real world, yeah, and somebody upsets them at work, or, or you know, somebody uh, says something that upsets them, or, oh, I'm offended, or whatever, um, you know, there ain't going to be a coloring book and a fuzzy kitten in the tea room to, to cuddle and play with. You know what I mean? So these people are being set up. They're going to blame the university. They're going to blame their parents. They're going to blame their boss and colleagues. They're going to blame the pastor. They're going to blame God because it's not happening for them. So even if they manage to get a job, there ain't going to be a puppy dog, uh, you know, to play with when somebody upsets them. Now, to my, within my lifetime, uh, this seems to have gained momentum in the past few years. And in my recollection, it seems the first kind of real public uh, case of this kind of came up in the early 1980s. And I don't know, some of you may have heard of uh, the actress Joan Crawford. She, um, her career, she was kind of at the height of her career, maybe in the 40s and 50s. And she had, um, I think, four or five kids. I don't know if they were all adopted, but one of the adopted daughters wrote a book about her uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, somewhere around there. And the name of this book was Mommy Dearest. And in this book, the daughter portrayed Joan Crawford as a cruel, horrible mother who was an alcoholic and mistreated her. And she would, you know, she said, she was more interested in her career than she was in being a parent and blah, blah, blah. Now, you know, um, some of the other Hollywood actors and actresses that knew Joan Crawford and worked with her said it was mostly fiction. Uh, others who knew her and worked with her said uh, there was some truth to it, but it was exaggerated. So I don't know whether it was true or not, but the point is, writing a book about this 20 years later wasn't going to change anything, even if it was true. It wasn't going to change anything, bringing all this into the public domain, and all, the only thing this girl had to gain was attention, sympathy, and money. Now, apparently, don't know if that's true or not, but apparently this book came, what really brought this book to a, a head was when she and her brother found out they had been left out of their mother's will. Now, when there's money involved, the sparks start flying. <laughs> so that, you know, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But the point is, she had nothing to gain. She got attention, she got sympathy, and they end a lot of money because everybody wants to read the book. They all want to read the dirt on Joan Crawford. Uh, then they get invited to the talk shows, Oprah Winfrey, everybody on TV, and then somebody wants to make a movie out of it. And, and now, this is very common. 
uh, if, if these Hollywood, there's celebrities and their kids come out and they write books about them. And if you're a public servant, if you're in politics, oh boy, you are, you are open game for this kind of, of, of stuff. So this has really gained momentum over the past few decades. Now, I heard um, Joyce Meyer mention that she, she had a brother and you all have probably, most of you probably know about her testimony. She was uh, sexually abused, verbally abused, and mentally abused by her father for many years. And she said her brother was abused in other ways. She said her father taught him to smoke, to drink, to use profanity, and to chase women. And of course, his life just was going like that. And she said, um, you know, they, they, uh, they had him come live with them for two years. And they kind of took him under their wing and they got him in the word. And of course, he was going to her meetings and they were trying to, you know, help him and get, get him on the right path. I think they even gave him a job in the ministry to just give him some responsibility and a good environment, you know, surrounded by good people. And she said it didn't really seem to make much difference. There really wasn't any progress much there. So they sent him to um, this dream center in Los Angeles. Now, I don't know if that's connected with the dream center that she started in St. Louis or if it's a total separate entity, I don't know, but they sent him to this dream center in Los Angeles and of course when they go to those places not only do they get you, you know, you get off drugs and alcohol and all that, but they get you in the word. If you're not saved, you get saved and uh, they start getting you in that word reg regular and she said he was doing really well uh, he got off, he, he quit drink, drinking, he got off drugs, uh, he, was, he was doing really well. And uh, one month later, he went to the leaders and he said, this is a great program, it has helped me a lot, but I'm leaving. And she said, two or three months later, he died in an abandoned building in Los Angeles. And she said, she said, Really, it was not God's fault. It really wasn't the devil's fault. She said it was his fault. He had heard the word. He had had every opportunity, you know, to, to, to get off that path. And, and, and what he, you know, instead of pulling himself to the side and having a meeting with himself and saying, uh-uh, we already been down that road. We already been there. We already done that. We know where it leads. No, we're not doing that. She said every time he was presented with temptation, he yielded to it and he did not resist it. And she said his life was a total tragic waste. Now, she went on to say, the difference, the only difference between me and my brother 
She said, I was determined that I was going to fight for a better life that Jesus had given me, and my brother would not do it. She says, that's the only difference between me and him was the decision we made. She said, I was going to fight for the better life Jesus came to give me, and my brother would not do it. Now, um, you know, and his life was a tragedy. His life was a tragedy. Now, this goes back to what we talked about a few months ago, a fighting spirit. She has a fighting spirit, and you've got to have a fighting spirit. He did not have a fighting spirit. He just, when temptation came, he just yielded. When the, when the challenges came, he just yielded to it, uh, and he did not resist it. So, fighting for the things that already belong to us in Christ. Now, God is not moved by self-pity. What moves God? It starts with an F. Okay, thank you. Amen. Um, but self-pity will move the devil. And when you get into self-pity, you're giving him an open invitation to come to your pity party. And he'll say, you have been so mistreated. Those people let you down. They should have been there for you. What's happening? Darkness is moving in. And if you don't stop that immediately, we need to start recognizing these things, these thoughts. And, and if you don't stop it immediately, you're going into a, a downward spiral, spiral. People are not our source. And when we tend to get our eyes on people, somewhere down the line, we're going to be disappointed because they're not going to help you and they're not going to meet your needs or, or whatever and you're going to be disappointed. And if you get into bed and you pull the covers over your head and you get out the box of tissues, you're letting the devil know that he's getting to you. And he's going to invite every demon in the country to come get into bed with you and, and, and just pour on the pig. Uh, Joyce Meyer said the Lord once told her, you can be pitiful or you can be powerful, but you can't be both. You can be pitiful or you can be powerful, but you can't be both. So if you see yourself as a victim, you're not going to be more than a conqueror. If you see yourself as the injured third party, you're not going to be more than a conqueror. And today, like I said, there are all kinds of people, you know, you hear all these terms, emotional abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse, you know, and so forth. And some cases are legitimate, and it's not right. It's not right. Some cases, though... Somebody just looks at them wrong, and, and they're saying, oh, oh, they abused me, and they offended me, and upset me, and, and all this. Uh, you know, it, you, you can't even disagree with somebody, you know. Uh, and, and in today's society, there doesn't seem to be any distinction between correction and abuse. 
There doesn't seem to be any distinction between correction and abuse. If Jesus were on the earth today, he would probably be prosecuted for verbal abuse, mental abuse, hate speech. One time in the Bible, he calls some people vipers and whitewashed tombstones. How do you think that would go down today? <laughs> He'd probably be sued for slander and emotional damage. Yeah, but a lot of money. So a victim mentality is a helpless mentality. Uh, this feeling that I'm helpless to do anything about it, and it produces self-pity. So, if we're a believer, are we really helpless, or do we have the greater one on the inside of us? Amen. So let's say someone has genuinely been hurt or injured or abused in some way. Let's say genuine situation. Uh, and it may have been 10 years, 25 years ago, uh, born-again, spirit-filled Christian, and they're still dealing with this. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when one of the kids back there, if they, if they run in and they fall down and they scrape, scrape their knees up or they cut their hand and you clean it and you put a nice bandage on it, what's the first thing they want to do when they see you? They want to show you their bandage. And they want to show you where they cut themselves. You know, where they, this is where I got hurt. I fell down the other day, you know, and I got hurt. But it's gradually healing up. Um, if you leave it alone, if you leave it alone, it's gradually healing up. But what happens after a few days and that wound begins to form a scab and that's all part of the healing process. What if they run up to you and they say, look, look what I did. And they pull that bandage off and here comes the scab and all the healing that had already taken place there. And now they've exposed an open wound again. And that healing process has got to start all over again. And this is what happens when people keep rehearsing the, these problems and how somebody hurt them or betrayed them or mistreated them 10, 15, 25 years ago, they're reopening that wound again and any healing that had taken place has now been ripped off and that wound is exposed again and it's got to start all over healing. Now, I heard Greg say one time back in his old life before he was saved, when he was a teenager, he took a swing at somebody and they ducked and his hand went through a plate glass window. Now, let's just say that was 25 years ago, okay? Now, he's, let's just say he's been saved 20 years. So for 20 years, born again, spirit-filled. Now, let's say he comes in the room today and his hand is all bandaged up. And we say, Greg, what happened to your hand? Oh, I cut it bad. When did you do that? 25 years ago. You mean after 25 years, 
That wound has not healed. Now we would think something is wrong, wouldn't we? Because in 25 years, that wound in his hand should have healed. That should have gradually healed up. So this is what people do when they, they start rehearsing these things all over again. Uh, you know, God can heal you on the inside just like he can heal you on the outside. But you got to keep the bandage on that thing and you got to let it heal and not keep ripping it off and talking about it and rehearsing it over and over and over, and that's what people do. They rip that bandage off, and they expose that thing, and now they got to start all over again with this healing process. you got to stop opening that thing up. When people go to a therapist or a psychologist or a doctor, what's the first question they ask you? How do you feel? Tell me how you feel. This is going back to the flesh again, isn't it? Lay down here over on this couch. Sit on that chair. And I want you to go back to when you were eight years old. And I want you to relive that thing all over again. What are they doing? They are ripping the bandage off that thing. And they're exposing that wound all over again. You say, no. That, that wound is healing. That wound is healing, and I'm not taking that bandage off anymore. Amen? There, there, there are some, that's a one thing I don't talk about anymore. That's, that's healing up, and I'm not opening up again. Amen? So you come to the place where you refuse to talk about it, and you don't keep opening that thing up anymore. And over time, your feelings will begin to diminish. And, and that will just be a distant memory in the past, just like when you fell off your bicycle when you were 10. Uh, you know, it'll just be a past memory. I can still remember breaking my collarbone when I was five years old. It doesn't bother me anymore. Doesn't affect my life at all. It's just it's just a past memory. So that's that's the that's the place the Lord wants us to get to. God can heal anybody of anything, and He has made you a winner. He has made you a victor and not a victim. Amen. Let's say this out loud. I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. Amen. Amen. Now we won't turn there, but Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So, we can, we can have a testimony. We should have a testimony and not... This victim mentality, you can have a victim mentality or you can have a testimony. And we want to have a testimony. We're not going to be victim of circumstances. We're going to have a testimony of how we overcame. Amen? I didn't hear much response on that. 
Amen. Hallelujah. We don't have to be a casualty. We don't have to be a statistic. That's not our destiny in Christ. We are destined to be victors. How often? Always. Amen. So let's say this together. We're coming up. We're coming out. Things are getting better. This is going to be the best year I've ever had. More peace. More, more good health, more, good health. More, financial freedom, more financial freedom, more victories, more, victories. more, people, I can bless. more people I can bless. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. whatever has wounded has been wounded in my life. Whatever has been wounded in my life is now being repaired. I'm always a victor, never a victim. Amen.